recently during the pandemic, my friend Sean and I came up with a saying about McDonald's. And if you know, uh, if you, if you know me, uh, you know that McDonald's is one of my favorite apps on my iPhone and I have the body to show for it. And I, hey, and I just love that the other day actually on the app, I got an announcement that some of my points were expiring and I need to go use them. That's the kind of app user I am on the McDonald's. But I'm the only one, because this is West Los Angeles. I'm the only person who eats McDonald's, right? Anyway, so my friend Sean and I were talking and we were trying to come up with an analogy to help us describe how governments and institutions try to keep people happy when things aren't going well, okay? Think of it this way. Say you are a ruler, say you're a governor, say you're an elected official, and you feel a sense of responsibility to help people experience the good life, to keep them happy. And if they're not experiencing the good life, then they come for your head, or at least you will be not elected next time. You won't have that feeling, uh, you have to have that feeling you have to have people create that feeling or experience the feeling of satisfaction with their life. Otherwise, you won't be elected anymore. And so we came up with a phrase that I'm going to share with you now. And the phrase is this. Uh, when you are in power, you've got to keep the McDonald's hot. What do I mean? The McDonald's hut. Well, McDonald's is basic. McDonald's is the basic, most basic food that appeals to your most basic primal senses, and it appeals to you, your base tastes. So the analogy goes something like this. So when Sean and I, uh, we would talk about our last president, we would probably say, we'd say, well, hey, it's probably difficult for him to get reelected because he's not keeping the McDonald's hot. Does that make sense? That he's not keeping the people happy. And as long as he was keeping the basic consumer needs and desires of the people happy, or he's keeping them preoccupied, then like they won't think about the real problems that are going on in their lives. You see, people have a tendency to stay focused on what's immediately keeping them satisfied and happy. And as long as the leaders are keeping them content just enough then they won't pay attention to some of the problems that are around them. The, there's a writer and author, Karl Marx. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of Karl Marx. Uh, he said that religion is the opiate of the masses. And in the same way, I would say that the predominant American religion is our own individualism. It's our own desire for freedom and contentment and happiness. And now some people might say, well, isn't, who cares? Isn't ignorance bliss? Why can't we just enjoy the hot McDonald's? Well, the problem is this. The problem is this. What happens if the McDonald's is no longer hot? Or what if we woke up one day and there was no more McDonald's in general? Like, let me put it this way. What happens if we start to realize that the expectations that we've built our lives around aren't going to happen anymore. Like what happens if things aren't good in the country anymore? Or what happens when the things we know and love aren't readily available to us? We certainly got a taste of that during the pandemic. I mean, we sit, sat there and had to look at our problems for like a year and a half. The McDonald's was not hot. Life was hard and confusing during the lockdowns. But think about it now. Like, what if we went through a recession? What if the stock market crashes? What if, our, 
what if the government is no longer able to support us the way we feel the government should support us? Or what if the Supreme Court or elected officials, what if they're no longer willing or able to provide a certain level of freedom or a certain level of choice that we're comfortable experiencing, that we've grown accustomed to? If that happens, it's going to be a problem for you and I if we've built our lives, if we've built the expectation of what our lives, we think our lives should be, if we build our life around a certain kind of life we expect to have happen for us, we will be disappointed by this. And ultimately, we're setting ourselves up for anxiety. Now, as I look into all your faces, you all look depressed or bored. I'm pretty sure it's depressed, you're not bored. But it's depressing, what we're talking about here. And we don't want more anxiety. And this is where our topic collides with our sermon series. And right now, we've been doing a series called A Faithful Presence, How to Become a Non-Anxious Presence in an Anxious World. And what we know is that how we organize our lives determines the level of anxiety or contentment we will experience. What we build our life around all has the potential to create emotional health or emotional anxiety. When we organize our lives around the, the fact that something might change, something that has the potential to change, to shift, when we organize our life around any number of circumstances that has the potential for tragedy, we're asking ourselves, we're just begging to be more anxious. And if you want to become a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world, if you want to become the kind of person that demonstrates non-anxiousness in the midst of potential anxiety, you and I have to organize our lives around something other than the anxiety we see around us, something other than the structures that we build our life on. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? Does this make sense? There has to be something deeper than just hot McDonald's. Such as, we need to build our lives on something deeper than the idea that the government can take care of us. We need to build our lives on something deeper than the idea that our identity that we've discovered inside of ourselves can actually make us happy. The idea that our anthropologically, there's a, five, there's a 50 cent word right there, anthropologically constructed cultural identity and picking the political party that best supports our individual identity. If we go in that direction, it can make us happy. We need to do something with the idea that God is here to make me happy, that God is here to make you happy. You see, if we build our lives around anything that is created rather than the creator, you will find yourself in an increasing moment of pain and anxiety. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking to the people. He's talking to the disciples and he gives them a parable, which is basically a story that has a deeper meaning. And this is what he says. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man or woman who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is describing that the way we build our life, a life that is solid, that won't be shaken, is to follow him. The way, you avoid, the way you avoid disaster, the way you avoid disappointment, the way you deal with the ups and downs of life, the way you can deal with unnecessary anxiety, like optional anxiety, is to organize your life around the person of Jesus and his teachings. Now, this is easier said than done. So many people I know organize their lives around Christianity. They call themselves Christians, and they feel that they've organized their life around Jesus, yet I continue to see, and you continue to see, so many Christians who experience unnecessary anxiety when hard times come. Because hard times are revealing. They reveal what's really going on, meaning they reveal what our life is truly organized around. The impression I get is the idea of Jesus plus. Like, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus plus I'm going to do all these extra things in my life to make me happy. Or another way to think about it is my life is really, when it comes down to it, it's built on this. It's built on my identity, my cultural identity. It's built on my money. It's built on my job title and Jesus. It's plus Jesus afterwards. So your identity can be built on something else. And then we just sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top like it's a magic potion that's going to help accelerate. Like it's like a pre-workout, you know, when you want to lift a lot of heavy weights in the gym, you take the pre-workout. Jesus is just that little extra magic uh, abracadabra bippity boppity boo that's going to help me go to the next level as long as I just sprinkle a little Jesus salt based style on my life that will get me to where I need to go I can build my life around whatever I want and then if I just add Jesus then it cleans it up a little bit some people have organized their lives around who they are romantically involved with or the need to be romantically loved some have subjected their emotional health to the ups and downs of the financial markets and their bank account. If the market is up, they're happy. If the market is down, well, you better pour that guy another one. I know people that were deeply thrown for a loop when an elected official did something or said something that was out of pocket. I know people that are increasingly anxious, and you do too, especially over the past few years, who've chosen to organize their life around what they think the government can and should do for them. We all know this. There is no government in history that's ever lasted forever. They all come crumbling down. They are not infallible. They fail humans. They fail us. And when we trust that the government can fulfill our needs... We are setting ourselves up for failure because ultimately governments disappoint. And this is important for the Christian here. The Christian is building their life and centering their life around the kingdom of God. 
not the kingdom of this world. And when we choose to co-opt the kingdom of God for the kingdom of this world and we try to make it what's going to make us happy or keep us content, we will be anxious. There's people out there building their lives on the idea that the American political system is going to finally work itself out and make it great for all of us. I got news for you. It would be the first time ever in human history that that had ever happened. Governments have come and gone. They will continue to fail us. We trust in one, the Jesus and his kingdom that will one day come and wipe every tear from our eye, or there will be no more war. They say they, in the scriptures, they say that they will turn their swords into plowshares. There won't be needs for weapons anymore because the king will have come. And when we organize our life around what we think this current political climate can do for us, that's just depressing anyway, let alone thinking that they can actually win. Now, I like, I, I believe in governments. I, I don't think we should have mass chaos. I don't believe in anarchy. I don't have an anarchy tattoo on my chest below this nice Heather Gray shirt. I believe that governments should exist. But when we trust in them, when we say that, that's the thing that's going to make everything right, you will lose. So many Christians put their trust and their hopes in things that have the potential to shift and to change. And the reality is some Christians, including myself, we haven't done the complete and full work of organizing our life around Jesus and the principles of Jesus. So let me say this, and this is not prophetic. I did not receive a word from on high from the Lord on this. This is just something I know to be true because this is what it says in the scriptures. In the scriptures, it says, in this life, you will have trouble. In your life, in your future, your future, your future, and your future, and my future, we will experience hardships. And in the near future, we might even experience a recession, or a job loss, or the loss of a loved one. Everybody you know will one day die. I know that's sad, but you will experience the loss of a loved one. And it is absolutely in your best interest now to organize your life and build your life around the person of Jesus because when the storms of life come, you will not be shaken. His love will fail you. He won't disappoint and he will not leave you high and dry. So let me leave you with something practical. Ask yourself this question. How do I know if my life is organized around something other than the person of Jesus and his teachings? How do I know if I've built my life on the sand? A great way to assess whether you have some mixed up priorities is to consider some of the words of Tim Keller. He's a pastor and a writer in New York City. And something that Tim Keller talks about is the idea of idols. And an idol, I don't know what conjures up, what comes up in your mind, but an idol is more than something that's made of wood or stone or gold or silver. An idol is something deeper. An idol is something that our hearts attach to. An idol, this is Tim's definition, an idol is whenever we take a good thing, a good thing that is created by God, and we elevate it and turn it into an ultimate thing, that should we lose that thing, life would not be worth living anymore. 
So ask yourself, is there any good thing in my life that I love? It's a good thing. It came from God that I've turned into an ultimate thing. Ask yourself, is there anything that I've turned, that I've taken in my life that's turned into an ultimate thing? Ask yourself, on what do I base my identity? Meaning, at the core of my being, when I look at myself in the core of my being mirror, whatever that may be, like when you look at yourself, what is it? What do I see? When Chris Meekins looks in front of the core identity mirror thing, what do I see? Is it a heterosexual male who's married, that has a family, and is a pastor? Is that the core of my identity? For you, how do you view yourself? Is your identity rooted in your relationship with a significant other? Or is your identity rooted in the idea of a relationship with another person because you're not seeing anyone right now? Is your identity rooted in your sexuality or your gender or your race or your ethnicity? Is your identity rooted in your family or the fact that you have a child or want a child? Is your identity rooted in status or the money connected to that status or the job that you have? Because if your identity is rooted in anything other than God, if it is the ultimate thing for you, if it is my identity plus Jesus, if it is rooted in anything but the creator, a relationship, a job, a cultural construct, you are building your life on a foundation that can disappoint you. And so what Keller prescribes, once you've clarified, is there something in my heart that I've elevated above the person of Jesus, anything at all, what he prescribes is if we want to reorganize our life around the person of Jesus, we have to do something about it. We just can't state that, yes, that's elevated and just leave it in there. We have to do something. We have to change. And he says this little phrase, he says we must renounce our idols. We must renounce the things that we've made ultimate things and place them back into perspective and as good things. And renounce is just a fancy way of saying that we officially give up making that thing the most important thing in our life and we officially are going to make steps from that moment to not dwell on that thing and to build and organize our life around it. And if we don't get rid of them, we reduce their power. It, and as we get rid of them, we, we can't really totally get rid of these good things in our lives. But when we reduce their power and put them back into perspective, we put them in perspective and we become healthier people. And the way you begin to do this is you begin by praying about it and sharing with somebody else. Pray about it and share with somebody else. You say, Jesus... I renounce, I give this thing up, I yield this thing, the control of this thing in my life over to you. I invite you to be the organizing person and the organizing principle of my life. And this is for people who follow Jesus. And you put it back in his position, this is what I do. And the next thing you do is you share what you've done with somebody who is also a Christian. You tell them what you've renounced. You tell them, I'm trying to bring this back into perspective. And you ask that Christian to encourage you, to hold you accountable. Because there's something that they can do. You aren't meant to do this on your own. 
You do this with other people. You share, and they go, how are you doing with that? Are you sure with this? And you become accountable with other Christians. The second thing I would encourage you to do is something on your own. I encourage you to read the scriptures. I know this is basic. I've basically said pray, be in Christian community, and read the scriptures. Like, I get it, but here's why. The scriptures actually give us the tools to know how to organize your life. But you might say to yourself, where does my life need organizing? I would say back to you, well, where does your life suck? (laughs) And where does it hurt? Tell me where your life hurts right now. Where is life not working out for you? And start there. You see, the scriptures, when we look at them and we understand them, they help us to know what to do about sex. They help us to know what to think about parenting. They help us to know what we should think and have a proper perspective when it comes to the Victorian notion of love and the actual biblical understanding of marriage. There's the, it gives us insight on what to do with your money, how to earn money. There's, you know, there's bad ways to earn money and there's good ways to earn money. How to save your money, how to spend your money, and how to, uh, and, and, and how to give your money away. So, Start there. Um, And also, they will give you a foundation on how to think about other things, like government, how to think about politicians, how to think about salesmen, and the people that sell you the good life with their idea and notion of the good life. Search the scriptures, because in them you will find hope, and you will find answers. Now, if you don't know how to search the scriptures, that can be embarrassing because what you think is when you walk into a room like this, what do we, with thousands of people here this morning, you think, wow, you know, everyone probably knows how to read the Bible and pray and knows how to search the scriptures. Well, what I've found as the pastor is that there's so many liars at church because we want to look like we know what we're doing. Here's the deal. Um, I would encourage, not, not that you're all liars, other people. The people that didn't come today, they're the liars. You guys are all honest. So, uh, you know, you guys are honest. Uh, so, like, I just find that people try to put on their best face forward. You know, put their best face forward. And they don't admit there's weakness. And then we walk around kind of not growing because we don't admit that we actually need help. So if you were willing, we want to create the kind of environment where you can share, I don't understand this. Like, we're becoming an increasingly uh, biblically illiterate culture, and that's not anyone's fault, really, but, like, sometimes people will come in and they'll go, well, what are those names, and what are those numbers after the, after the thing? Well, those are chapters. Not everyone knows how to do things when it comes to the scriptures or how to read them. And so what I would encourage you to do is we want to create an environment where we ask for help. Just like you would ask for help from someone that you know, I'm trying to put things back into perspective in my life. I'm asking you as a fellow brother or sister in Christ, I'm asking for your help. Ask for help when it comes to understanding the scriptures. I would encourage you to reach out to me or one of our leaders. We have access to guides that can help you learn to search and understand the scriptures. There are so many great resources that can help you with the particular question that you're facing. The Bible has wisdom for almost all of life, and it's there for us. It's there for us. So when Jesus says, build your life on a rock, a solid foundation, there's tools to help you understand how to do that. Listen, 
Here's what I know. When we build our lives on a solid foundation, which is Jesus Christ, we become attractive. We become people that are attractive. Now, I don't know if that's going to change how you look. You're already very beautiful people. But what I would say is you become attractive like there's something about you that people are drawn to. And this is what we know about anxiety and family systems theory. That when you're healthy and you're non-anxious and your life is built on something that is a good foundation, a rock of a foundation, people that aren't experiencing that gravitate towards you to understand what you have and what you are and what you're becoming. And they become, I want a piece of that. I want a piece of what you have. And when we become attractive in that way, when people are moving towards us, that's when we can actually help people. Did you know that you can't actually help anyone who isn't moving towards you? You cannot chase someone down to help them. You cannot change someone that doesn't want to be helped, that someone that isn't looking for a relationship, that someone that isn't looking for your advice, someone that isn't interested in what you have to say. If you go chase them down, if you put on a sandwich sign and run down to the promenade and then say everyone's going to hell, you know that doesn't work real well. You know, when you're chasing people down with what you have to say to them and they're not moving towards you, it's impossible for them to hear you. But when someone's moving towards you, because they're attracted to what you are, they're attracted to what you say, they're attracted to how you treat people, they're interested when a politician, elected official says something that's crazy, and you're like, you're, you're built on, you're, 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 you're not joining in with the rest of the anxiety that's happening in the world. You become attractive, they're moving towards you, that's when you can help someone who's in need. That's when you can help someone who's crying out for help. And when the watching world looks at our lives and they see that we aren't pushed around by the anxious moment of the day, whether it's this news report or that news report, our lives become attractive. And one of the best things we can do to become a faithful presence in our city is to focus on ourselves and become a differentiated faithful presence by building our lives on the only thing that I believe matters, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. Why don't we all stand? We're going to uh, worship one more time together, and uh, as we do, I just want us to... Uh, we're just going to pause, and the reason we're going to pause is I just did a lot of talking at you, and what I want to do is leave space for God to speak to us. So let's pause. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to be here.